Welcome to episode 6 of the College Series on the Split Up Rights Podcast. Before we get started though, we're going to hear a quick ad from our sponsor, Anchor.fm. Today we have my boy Glenn Williams. Glenn is an offensive lineman. And actually, fun fact about Glenn, when I scored my first touchdown my junior year of high school, he was the first person to celebrate with me. So big shout out to Glenn. He was great to have on the pod. Can't wait for you guys to enjoy it. So Sandy, hit that play button. Santam from the football ex AJ Man mistake with a pen like JK True say I ain't really a drinker But I got love for brandy like Ray J Champagne popper 44 chopper and a black night bomber Heartbeat stopper Half our MC dropper 45 whopper Leave you in the stage like Kaka Alright Glenn We got you on the show We were talking before And you know you're, You were a football guy Like Drew and I were But you said you like playing FIFA and, you, and you've been an Arsenal guy Since senior year So what you don't know What I didn't tell you Is that's actually a crime on this show We just let our other co-hosts Get away with it because I'm, I'm a, I grew up a Chelsea guy. My dad got me hooked on them when I was like five or six. Um, Drew Sheffield United, but you'll get a pass because you're a cool dude. Um, can you tell us who is the best team you've ever played with on FIFA, like your go-to team? Oh man, uh, low key. I rem- FIFA FIFA 19, I think or FIFA 18. I would play with Switzerland, like the national team of Switzerland. Um, Shakiri on the outside with the crosses. I was unbeatable. You had a beauty. He would beat. He would like just run outside hard. And I always play wide. He'd run outside hard, and you just cross it in, and you're gonna get a header some point. And I remember I would. Everybody would just get pissed off. And I still play with uh, Switzerland to this day because of Shakiri. Because that dude can. I don't know what his speed is, but the fact that he can have a good cross in the middle of the box, I can get a header in. I'm winning most of the games with him. And I, I'll, anybody play with Man U, Real Madrid, whatever. I, they, they can't defend the crosses at times because it's like luck sometimes. Freaking, freaking Sandy over here. I remember our freshman year. He's a freaking FIFA god. I'm first year playing really FIFA competitive, not really competitively, but against a lot of people. Like I'm over here getting my butt whipped, and he's over here whipping everyone's butt. Um, he's he's a FIFA guy for sure. Yeah, but Drew, you made it abundantly clear to me that if we were to switch, if we were to go to Madden, it was over. <laughs> like you said, 100%. I think you told me one time you were gonna put sixty on me, and I and I wouldn't be able to score. Hundred percent. I mean, I'll say this: Madden is way different than FIFA. FIFA is a is for sure like it takes way more skill than it is in Madden. But I will smack some cheeks in Madden. I uh, I I I'm a killer with Madden. Um, but no, Glenn, thank you for coming on today, man. Uh, me and Glenn go. I wouldn't say way back, but I would say we probably we met when I was a freshman, and, and this dude's a sophomore. And um, when he's a sophomore, you know, Glenn is six six. Um, and he was pretty much 6'6 six, six when I was like 5'10 in, in high school. And I'm, you know, looking up at him. You know, he's just a big, he's just a big teddy bear. Um, he looks intimidating from a distance, though. Yeah. From a distance, Glenn is intimidating. But Glenn, thank you for coming on today, man. Um, we're gonna talk a little bit about your high school today. Um, you know, high school days were were rough. Uh we started off, I think, playing together when, when I was a sophomore and you were a junior on JV. Can you talk a little bit about your JV days? I know it's not fun to talk about. It, maybe you don't remember them, but there were some fun moments in the locker room. No, man, those JV days were something else. Uh yeah, I remember that if we because it wasn't just me, I mean it was Jordan Murray too, he's another big dude. And uh there were six seniors when we were juniors. So when we got the news back in junior year, we played JV again. It was just kind of like disappointing to us because we would do some varsity practices and stuff. But 
honestly, it's the best thing that could have happened because it was fun, man. It was so carefree, and we still dressed up on Friday nights, which was cool when we wanted to play. But it was JV was such a fun time because I remember Coach Blackwell and like all those guys, uh, that JV coach. We would make up our own plays, and then we would just run it whenever we felt like doing it. And I I remember I would be on the defense side of the ball, and I'm an offensive lineman. And I just – I'd say, hey, I'm going on defense. They said, okay. And I just chose where I wanted to play on the line. I didn't listen to any calls. We just did whatever we wanted to do. So, I remember those JV days because we would run the scores up. And we, we were undefeated, I think, because we would just run up people in the in – the, uh, every time we played, they kept on thinking that we were the varsity like, – like, why weren't we on varsity? I remember this one uh, head coach came up to uh, Coach Blackwell, and me and Jordan were right next to each other, right next to him, and they're like, why, why, why is like, I feel like these are the guys that are going to be playing on Friday because this isn't fair. So we were running, we were like hanging like 70 on people. I remember that. It was just easy money. It was fun though. It was not serious. Yeah. If you remember, there's two plays we had because uh, that year was actually a defensive guy. I was an outside linebacker. We had Coach Pell personnel. Yeah. Um, and then that was basically, it was me and I believe another guy were on the outside and we were just two tall guys and it was just fades to us in the end zone. And then I don't remember if you remember this. Um, on offense we had I think it was called Thunder when Daniel Storer would be the fullback and I I can't remember who our running back was at the time but he just it was and um snap to the running back and just basically run right behind you and Jordan when Daniel was the lead blocker and the whole sideline whenever you heard Thunder would erupt like it was like an actual thunderstorm and it was it was super fun um I some of my best years was that year my sophomore year because yeah. I also got to dress up so Thursday nights we go whoop people's butt then we, the next day we get to celebrate eating Dickies um all basically all you can eat and it was me Jordan Daniel Story Max Johnston and a few others yeah. that would go every gate every day as long as some of the scout guys and it was just awesome man it was it was a fun year yeah um, dude, great. <laughs> but then then the next year you uh you go on obviously to become a starter for the team. What, what kind of is your, uh, your that first year like as a starter? It, it was, it was a change, man. You got to get seriously. Things were happening. And uh, it's also changes since it was the first year for coach DeWitt as a head coach and at Coppell. I mean, at Coppell, he was DC, but it was the first year as a head coach. So that was kind of a big deal. Um, I liked coach DeWitt, man, it, but it was going into there. You haven't started yet. I'm looking to go to, play D1 so that's one pressure you get the pressure of now I mean Coppola football that's that was that was no joke I mean that's a serious thing you're starting Coppola football you got a lot to maintain you got a great running back you got to make sure that they can stand up um and you got a very tough O-line coach to impress I mean it, it, it was a lot of pressure and if you can if you can rise to the pressure of starting for a 6A top tier team in Texas I think you can do a lot of things with that yeah, no, 100%. I mean, the year before, Coppell was um, like a powerhouse. I mean, we I think we yeah. went like 11-2 and two on that year, and we won the district yeah. and lost in the uh, – I don't know what the – it's after the bye district. Yeah, it was, it was the second round of the playoffs. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of expectations for us because that was my first year on varsity as well. Yeah. Um, and so, it, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, a lot of pressure and – Texas football is no joke, and you learn that really quick. The practices change. It's still fun, don't get me wrong, but, like, it's every practice. Coach Mike McBride was no joke, man. Coach Lemons was not an offensive guy, so I spent a lot of time with the O-line, and it was fun. The O-linemen guys are hilarious, but that first year, uh, trying to learn the offense as well as being yelled at by Coach Mike McBride every five minutes um, <laughs> was not fun. 
Um, <laughs> but uh, what, what what is Coach McBride like? Like, you know, he's a big name uh, in, in kind of the Dallas area, uh, having the McBride attached to it. But Coach Mike McBride is way different than Coach, uh, you know, Joe McBride and Kirk McBride. What's Mike like? Yeah, no, Coach, uh, Coach Mack, man. There is not a better O-line coach that I think I could have had. Um, I think Coach Johnson was a great addition to learning, I think because he learned from Coach Mack. But Coach Mack, I mean, he would get in your ass, man. I remember Coach Joe McBride would make it a point to never curse. DeWitt never cursed. No coach was really supposed to curse. It was like, I don't know, if, I think it was CISD. But, man, Fridays when we were doing our warm-ups out in the, on the field – uh, Coach Mack would just bring us, I'm going to curse right now. And he would just like, just lay into us and say, like, we better make him proud. I mean, and then, like, we'd go into a quick prayer. But then we'd just go out and go, like, no, kill, kill somebody. I mean, that's kind of what it was. But the technique, I mean, staying low, and that technique, it transfers on, right? But, like, knowing how to stay low and getting that strength right. And he always, you know, put that impression to, like, you have to do this work yourself, too, in the summer. He was a hard coach, hard-nosed coach. He'd always remember, I remember, like, he would always remind us when I played at Texas Tech, they gave us a cup of ice, and that would last us the whole practice. There was no water breaks. You'd have this cup of ice. You guys should just have that. And I heard that every day during two days. I mean, and those are like five-hour practices that were split up in 30 minutes in between. And he'd be on our ass. But, you know, that tough love is kind of what I think what made us a good offensive line unit. I mean, we – on the offensive line unit, I remember that we were hanging points on people. Um and that's kind of what happened. I mean, we had a great old offensive unit there. Drew, you mentioned something about you spending time with the offensive linemen and how you that was a good time for you because they were funny. Glenn, I'm going to ask you, um, I'm going through my memory. Yeah, you're the first offensive lineman we've had on. So um, <laughs> my my roommate, Drew knows him really well too. We mess with him all the time. But he, he was an offensive lineman. And some of my best friends were offensive linemen. For whatever reason – they're the funniest guys. And we put this on our Twitter, Drew. You remember this, uh, the position group that is the best to date. We were, we were essentially, we were football guys who were taking the, uh, we were putting ourselves in the shoes of girls. Like, who would you most want to date? And I think offensive lineman Drew won, right? Yeah, I'm going to go double check myself. But I will say this, Glenn, the, the, um, the uh, the other contestants you were going against, quarterbacks, linebackers, and then we, we, we said it in other category. Obviously, myself, I voted other for the sole fact <laughs> of I, I was a tight end. I think I'm the best uh, you can date. But I, I do believe, if I remember correctly, the O-lineman won um, by, by a landslide, actually. I think it was O-lineman, then it was, was quarterbacks. Do you, do you agree with those results? Are the O-lineman the best to date? Easily, man. Uh Let's just put us in a practical sense. An O-lineman is a protector, right? So we're going to protect the girl, and, the, the you know, that's how just how it is. Like, that's where it goes. You know, you got to be and it's chivalrous, right? Um, and we're not too – we're funny, too. That's O-lineman. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because we're big dudes. We know we're kind of fat, so we just make fun of ourselves, too. But we're not, like, weird, like, specialists. You know, specialists are super weird, right, Sandy? And then you got the quarterbacks, so they're pretty boys and stuff, but the specialists are weird, man. That's right. That's right that's kind of what it comes down to. I mean, I just practically, you know, we're protectors. Uh, we're not pretty boys. I mean, we're ugly when we know it. So we got some that self-confidence, a little bit, you know, that one, I don't know, that one vine was around. Like, I think I got my swagger bag. That dude was a little, a little chunky dude. And that's what we are now. I mean, that's what, uh, that's what it is. We can put fun of ourselves and that's kind of where it's at. Yeah. I mean, y'all are the funniest. I, you know, as a kicker on the sideline, you know, in college, we don't have 
anything to do other than when we're doing, you know, special teams and stuff. So we have time to go around and mingle and stuff. And we'll help out in the drills because we're division three. So we don't have the resources at division one. You don't have your GAs out there holding pads and stuff. Sometimes that's us holding the pads. And sometimes we get rocked a little bit when the linebackers like to uh, shock and shed a little harder than they should. But, um, but no, that's true. Like the group you always wanted to go around was the offensive line because they're just, they always seem like they're the closest group. And yeah. the coach is normally always funny too. They're always making jokes. Like they're just, <laughs> if you want to have a good time, you go with the offensive lineman. Yes. Yes. That, uh, that's very true. And, and yeah, me- I, don't, I don't know why y'all are the funniest, but they just are. And, but, and, and I, I got a good reaction coming when you said that, you know, y'all are protectors. I'm like, I've never heard that viewpoint before that y'all will protect the girl better than everyone else. So I was, a, I was yeah. a big fan of that response. I like that one. This is true. Um, you, you mentioned because we're so close as a unit too, and that's kind of we're like that type of thing. I mean, you got to have a special relationship to play the offensive line. I mean, you got a wide receiver, but you know C.D. Lamb, you know those guys that'll catch a pass because they're the name, right? If you know the offensive lineman's name in the middle of the game, that means he really messed up because that means the referee either said his number and that because he got a penalty, or you blew up something that got something happened in the backfield. So you got to a trust yourself. You got to a trust your teammate, the guy right next to you. That's why me and Jordan Murray, I mean, we were super hyper competitive, but man, if I, I still, to this day, I'd still like say like that guy and like anybody I played in college with, I'd call them first thing if I needed anything. Cause like we'd have, have five guys our size walking down an alley. You're also not going to mess with us too. No, I so. mean, hundred percent. Like I, like I said, being a tight end, um, I'm, I'm closest to you guys more than anything. Yeah. Um, but I have to ask this, um, Marshall Yonda, Joe Thomas, these guys just, just recently retired from the NFL. Now they're like super thin. They lost like a hundred pounds or something like that. They're good looking dudes. Like what is the secret? What is, what is, what is that secret? How can I lose some weight easy? How do I become a good looking dude? You know, what, what's your secret, Glenn? I'm not going to say that you're good looking. Offensive linemen are just by, by nature ugly. Like we're big uglies. That's what I am. I know I am, but I still got a good looking girlfriend. So I'm, I'm winning in that sense of the term, but like the, uh, <laughs> But like the shedding weight, man. You we, oh man. In college, we had a new sport, D1, person D1. We had a sports nutritionist, right? And I went into college weighing fat, like three seventy, three six, something like that. Fat. Um, I was, I think, it was like thirty percent fat. And then after a year, I went down to twenty percent fat, which is like offensive line should be about between nineteen to twenty-five uh, percent. And I got my when I first went in, I had my the calories I'm supposed to be eating a day. And uh, to lose weight, and to lose weight as an offensive lineman, you should be eating. We were supposed to be eating like between thirty-nine to forty-two hundred calories a day, and for maintaining between forty-two to forty-five hundred calories. So all of it's food, and just realizing what you eat. And I mean, I, most offensive linemen will tell you they, they hate running, but you got to learn to run. And once you learn to embrace pain, I mean, you got to just you know, it's mindset. Glenn, you obviously after your senior year, you go on to K State, um, like you mentioned, at a Division One program. Um, what, what's Bill Snyder like? You know, what do you have any good stories maybe uh, about Coach Bill or just in general? What's what's his kind of presence like? I say the word tough a lot. I've said it a lot already. Um, but, I mean, like, you have to be mentally tough to play for that man. Um, we got in trouble with our own compliance office so often, like, so much because we were going over hours because he didn't believe in that. He thought we needed to be tough in that sense. And like one of my stories, I, I, I always say, and I always tell people about that, uh, this all the time. It was during camp, my second year, the two a day, it was a hundred degrees on the turf. 
and he built like coach Snyder is like super security conscious. Like we, we had a nice grass field, but you know, there was a fence to the outside that was far away, but he didn't want anybody ever to see us. So we'd be in the stadium with security all around it. Um, and it's hot. And he talks a long, long time. after. I'm talking 20, 30 minutes. We're on a knee. It's hot. That turf is terrible. And he tells us, he, he says, and this is after two hours, full pads. I mean, we're dead. And we just ran 20, 50-yard sprints at the end of practice for conditioning. And he goes, um, he says, you know, being tired is just a mindset. Um, and being hot is also a mindset. So because you think you're hot, you're not actually hot. If you think that it's 75 and you're on a beach, then you'll feel like if you're 75 and on a beach. And one of the guys just stands up and says, coach, it's a hundred degrees and we're on turf because it was just too damn hot for that. And that's what he talks about is his mental toughness. And like that type of toughness is kind of like, it's annoying. And that you talk about the 16 wildcat goals for success. We'd have tests on those. And if we, every six months, and if we got one for every one goal, we got wrong and out of order, we'd run. So we had to recognize these things. Um, and we joke about that, but like there were, he being an old ball coach, he was truly an old ball coach. And we got, like I said, we got in trouble with compliance a few times when we go over hours. And I mean, that was just what we did, but um, a lot of it was tough. And we had this thing called developmental. It's for the red shirts. There were 32 guys that uh, I came in with. And I think by the end of the first fall, which is developmental, it's a 6 a.m. workout plan for everybody that's not, you know, the red shirt. Um, eight guys had already quit just because they weren't mentally tough. I mean, it's just one of those things. That's interesting you say that, Glenn. So, like, I, I we have stuff – we had stuff like that at Hendricks where Drew and I played, those team goals. So, you know, you have that in every program. Coaches have those point – those talking points that you hit on every single time. And you're like, okay, coach, I hear this stuff. I've heard this for three years, man. Yeah. I'm a senior now. I know this stuff. But, like, I found that – and I took this more seriously in the last couple of years in my college experience because I was – elevated to a leadership role and the more that you contemplate on those things I find that it actually really does make a difference and and you start it starts to transform you in a way or at least allows you to mature evolve and adapt more so I, I love that now 16 points my memory's not great so I would probably be running a lot <laughs> I don't know but I gotta I gotta hit on what you were talking about with coach Snyder talking a lot so we have a coach and he we actually just interviewed him Drew you know he actually coached Drew as the tight ends coach but He's funny as hell. I love listening to him talk. He's got tells great stories and all this, but I don't know what it is with these coaches, man. They make you take a knee and everyone's gathered around. You're like, all right, man, it's, it's fall camp. We want to get inside because we're on this turf and they just go on and on and on. And, and you know, the first thing, normally the longest talks begin with this. All right, man, I'm not going to keep you that long, but I just want to hit say a few yeah. things. And you're like, uh, all right, coach, like you've been going on for 15 minutes, man. And you know, um, do your knees ever hurt like on that turf? Like y'all yeah. probably had pads on, but dude, you're like, ours were burning. I'm like, come on, man, this hurts. Oh yeah. Well, we went with uh, shells only, which means no, you know, pads in the pants. That's the worst. When you oh my knee. God. But you know what? I wore leggings 20 every year round. Cause I had, we had knee braces. So I was, I mean, that kind of saved my ass right there. But I mean, those guys that were specialists and those guys that were receivers and all those guys, they'd be bending over, acting like they're trying to take a knee because Coach Snyder couldn't see too far into the huddle and get 100 guys and around them. Yeah, what no, I, 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 I definitely, like, experience that all the time. I would be switching knees left and right 100% of the time. Um, and then you would always look back, and it, always, it was always the quarterbacks standing up in the back. And you're like, why are you standing up? Like, take a damn knee, man. It's, 
It's yes. always the quarterbacks, though, man. Glenn, one thing I wanted to ask you about, because uh, I don't know how much of this we had at Hendricks, but you were talking about the, the developmental program like for red shirts. Um, there's got to be a different mindset, I would imagine, for you guys as red shirts. Like, you know, you're not going to play this year. And but you're still part of this program. You got to go through all the work, I would imagine. And then you have your, you know, your 6 a.m. What you were talking about. Is there like a little extra something that red shirts have to develop, like in terms of a mindset? Because it's like everyone practices, so eventually you'll be ready for games. But maybe in that year, you don't have that chance to play. But you're still going through all this. So is there a little extra that you kind of have to motivate yourself for as a red shirt? Uh, I think really, if anything, you got to let yourself get broken down. Uh, you got to realize in high school, you were top dog, right? There's a reason you're at where you are. You have a sort of skill and talent level that they were looking for. But when you get to that point in college, you got to realize there's quite a few of you now that are top, that were top dog. There were quite a few of you guys that went to these rivals camps and all this other stuff. Um, you're not alone in this anymore. And I, I, I thought it was a joke, but it's so true. There will be a guy that you think you're good you'll go with the, you know, we had four, we had a four deep and the freshmen were on the fours. Um, you go over there, there's going to be a four, a third year walk on that is, is going to put you on your ass. And our top O-line recruit for that year, I mean, offers from Wisconsin, Mizzou, Arkansas, went to K-State. He quit after, like mid, uh, after the season. He would get put on his ass all the time. He just didn't have the mindset to get it broken down. He didn't have this, like, all right, I'm going to – I got to learn. I don't know everything. You have to be willing to learn because the system is different. Our playbook was this this thick. It was huge. You had these rules you had to follow. You got to realize that it, it's not you anymore. You you don't make the team. The team makes you. Yeah, no, that, that, that's a great mindset. Uh, and, I mean, I think, I think that shows, like, how great K-State has been through the years because – uh, when you watch a K-State game, it's not a pretty game. Um, they're not going to put up, you know, 500 yards throwing and then, you know, 300 yards rushing. Like, it is a down in the dirt. We're going we're gonna to out-tough you guys, and you can really see it um, when you watch games. I remember watching when uh, – I think his name was Colin Klein, I believe. Yes. Th- those years, like, as boring as those games would be, I would love to watch it because they used to just beat people. And you could see in the fourth quarter the other team did not want to play. And I, I assume that's from the development, like you said, through the, the redshirt program and, and through all those years. And they, they really weed out those uh, those weak guys, I guess you could say, um, and get the mentally tough guys through the years. Um, but your, what was your first experience with, with uh, Coach Snyder like? Um, did he really – did he, like, recruit you or did you, how, how did you meet him? So, like, that, that recruiting process, for me, actually, it's a little different. It was last minute. I was committed to go to Columbia University in New York City for most of my senior year. I was an Ivy League guy. Um, and then, uh, you know, I, I won't get into it too much, but I got convinced by somebody to stay closer to home. And that didn't end well long term, but whatever. Um, <laughs> Drew knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> but yes, I remember. I remember. <laughs> but no, no. But in all honesty, I was going to go to Columbia, and it was 22 hours away, driving all this other stuff, and it was in the middle of the city. And I thought I'd love it, and it was great until you know a week before signing day, and their coaches had changed out. Um, it was far from home. All the things just started adding up. I wasn't really hearing back from them, so I realized I, this isn't going to be for me anymore. 
Um, so I opened it there and I had already shot down everybody else. So even if there was anybody that was coming to look for me, um, D2 and FCS wise, cause I didn't want to be the biggest, I don't want to go big D1. I wanted to go school. Um, so, but K-State was always, always kind of there. Um, and Sean Snyder, coach Bill Snyder's son is one that recruited me, but I met, I met Bill for the first time when I went on my visit the weekend after signing day that everybody, all my friends signed. Um, I went up to him and I met him in person. We had like an hour, hour and a half talk. And nothing was football, right? He just wanted to know who I was as a person. Because his thing is, is I want to know you as a person. Because if you are a good person and you have an ethic that he's looking for, he wants you. He'll find you. Um, that's what it is. It's, it's, it's almost like a Midwestern mentality. I never knew that, that until I was up at K-State. But it's this Midwestern mentality that, like, we're going to put our nose in the dirt and just work hard. It's going to be ugly, like you said. But, man, it, it's, it, it, it ain't pretty, but it'll do. I love that, Glenn. I mean, it's true. Like when you, I think it may be different in high school. I don't know because you're a little younger. You haven't adopted like that that mindset that's going to last you for the rest of your life because you're still maturing. But it's like in yeah. college, you start to realize that to win, you really need eleven good men. Like I would rather give me eleven men and we'll make a football team. But give me eleven football players and like I, I don't know what I've got yet. I, I want I want to know. I want to be able to go to battle with somebody. So you know, our coach is a lot like that. He would always say talked about the the part about the person like I, I recruit people I don't recruit players I recruit people because I, I can work with people I like that um I gotta ask you about coach Snyder though in this sense so it's no secret that coach Snyder is a little older than most coaches nowadays now obviously he's retired now but he was I mean he was older when he was when he came back to coach in 2009 is when he came back out of retirement yeah. nowadays you see the likes of Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma Sean McVay at, at the Rams and these younger coaches are coming through the ranks and Twitter also has contributed to this, the, the graphics now for recruitment. Like all this fancy stuff is just selling these recruits. It's all marketing. It really is. With, with Coach Snyder, it's like you see these coaches nowadays that are bending over backwards to get these recruits. They do these outrageous things on, on video. They have their own Twitter accounts. They're saying a lot of stuff. Um, I'm not saying Coach Snyder ever had to adapt to become that kind of person, but did you ever see him like make an effort to – do things more like did you ever see him try to change or did was he like the same way throughout you know same with okay I mean like you were he wasn't going to change to what you wanted he was looking for guys that would become K-State football players not who K-State you know could work around like you said in football teams 11 good men well I think for that you need 11 good men that will become part of Kansas State like that are going to be bought into the team uh that was the biggest thing is, I mean, you talk about the fancy graphics and stuff. It we got to the point, we have two uniforms at Kansas State. We got the purple and we got jerseys and the white jerseys. We had silver pants and we had silver helmets. We had my second year, I think, we just got white cleats and it was the biggest deal ever. We got white gloves. It was the biggest deal ever. And we had a camel undershirts. That was huge. And then we wore white helmets my last, the second year as well, uh, and we lost, so we never wore them again. Um, so, like, we were – it was a mil almost military type mentality where it's like, we are a unit, we are together and we are going to, you know, go, go forward and win or whatever. No, I mean that, I feel like that's, that's a way to win right there is um, just because you, it, it makes the game simpler. Like you said, you had a thick playbook, but you know, in your, in the back of your mind, like we're going to win this game by just doing the things that we do instead of trying to be fancy and, um, have all these different types of jerseys. Oh, I'm going to worry about what I'm going to wear and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, I definitely think that mindset, is, it, it creates winners. 
Um, and it, it made K-State be a successful football team because they were very successful for many years. Um, you know, I think with, the, with today's generation is what's changing K-State football. Um, I know you guys, I know they have a new head coach and everything, but um, yeah. with, like you said, with social media, with how they look when they play, like that changes, that, I feel like that hurts K-State more because the football players and football just in general is changing. Um, and that's kind of why I feel like there was unsuccessful years, kind of your last, your, your couple years you were there. Um, but let me, we were looking at your schedule earlier. Um, you played in some bowl games, you played in some big games. What's kind of your best, or what's your favorite experience, I should say, um, whether it be a home game or an away game, what was kind of one of your favorite experiences? Texas Bowl 2017. 2017? Yeah. We beat the, we beat A&M. Um, and I think it's because of the buildup, right? Uh, I think, I, we, we like to say a lot, I'm one of those guys, we were 3-0 and that week. Uh, it started and A&M just had this, SEC, we're better than you mentality and stuff. And it's it, it, it's a different level for me because my, my, my family went to A&M. My grandpa played basketball at A&M. My dad went to A&M. I mean, it's huge. Um, but we get we get there, and, I mean, they're late to everything where they were supposed to be. Or they, they try to take it over. A&M, the football players did, right? They had this, like – they're full of five stars. And they were talking on Twitter, acting like they had already won, too. Um, we, they, we had so much bulletin board material. So, like – the night after we get in, um, we have the rodeo bowl, quote rodeo bowl. Um, we go to like out somewhere outside of Houston, and we're there, they're there, and I was, and then we, there's like eight rodeo type events, and players from each team compete in these rodeo events, and whoever has like wins the most of these events, these little events, wins the the rodeo bowl. Um, and we, and I mean, I remember our coaches asked us before we even left, said, who wants to do it? And everybody raised their hand. I mean, you got a lot of Kansas kids here, farm kids. And me, I was, I did junior rodeo. So I was like, I'm doing this. And I wasn't a starter then either. And he's like, I don't want my starters to do it. But Glenn, I know you did junior rodeo, so you're going to do a few of these events. I mean, so I did, I did calf wrangling. I did uh, goat milking was one of them, I think. Yeah. So, but we ran AM and we were yelling we had this chance like we just we just chant win at them like win 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 and we would we were killing them in this radio bowl and they were just sitting on their phones and they showed up late and we just destroyed them and they kind of got this like they were really angry at us because we were just yelling win win at them or win chant and then uh the day a couple days before the bowl game we had this luncheon and they're there on the other side of the room it's a huge ballroom we go, they, and then it's a kind of sing-off. It's not even a competition. It's just like a team from – one guy from each team goes up and sings. They, our guy got up and sing. He's a good singer. Their guy gets up. He's not that good of a singer, but they're, like, louder. Another guy, without even asking, goes up, grabs the mic, and just starts singing again and just shuts everybody else up. And then we get to the bowl game, and then we win. And then it's just – it, it was a fantastic game, man. I think that's – if you ask a lot of the guys from my class, I mean, that's some of the, one of the top-tier moments because it was just so fun. Dude, I, I get that, Glenn. So, uh, Drew told you before this, I'm, I'm from Arkansas. I'm an Arkansas guy. Arkansas played Texas in the 2014 Texas Bowl, I believe. And, like, a lot of the pictures you saw out of that, it's like an event. It's not just a game. It's an event. Like, you saw a lot of pictures from the competitions before the actual game. Yeah. Like, I remember, like, they were – Arkansas, were, the players were so excited to beat Texas in some of these events. But – so, you were junior rodeo. You mentioned that. So I got to ask you this small question because I had a roommate, one of my best friends, Drew knows him as well, Colby Hamilton, from a small town in East Texas, Joaquin, and he would do all these events as well, like the rodeo and all that. 
He told me about something I had never heard before. Do you know what mutton busting is? I don't remember. Oh, man, no. Okay. I'm not going to say it. I don't want to embarrass myself. I used to know exactly what it was. I'm not, I can't describe it right now because I don't remember all the details, but I was just curious about that. that that's all I want to ask. I've actually never heard of that one. Big, big yikes, big yikes. But he, here's the thing. I, I, I want to call out San, or I want to, I don't want to make you feel bad, Glenn. Um, I'm not really calling out Sandy, but. Whoa, the, Drew, don't, the, don't do it to him, man. Don't do it to him. The, the, the Liberty Bowl, I believe it. Was that your first year, the Liberty that Bowl? That was my first year. I was going to say you're a big Arkansas fan. That's cool and all. I, bro, those <laughs> Arkansas fans. I, I was never going to bring it up, Glenn. Oh, man. Those Arkansas fans are something else, especially at the Liberty Bowl. They were drawn, calling all – they were trying to get – this one guy I remember trying to call. I was like, he was like saying everybody's last name until I looked back at him, and then he talked about our moms or something like that. I'm just like, I don't like this. But – I remember that game. We got we got throttled because Coach Snyder believed that the 15 extra practices you get for bowl prep, he believed. Well, we're gonna. He called them pre-spring practices. So what he would do is it'd be full pads, best on best, full conditioning after practice for every practice until the four days before the game, and then it becomes regular game practice. So, like, all these teams might be prepping for us, and what we're doing is we are full-on practicing against each other, just scrimmaging to get ready for spring ball, which in spring ball, if you know, it's, like, pre-fall. No, 100%. Um, you know, we have a kind of a running joke here um, because Arkansas is just god-awful. Uh, let's, just, let's just be playing with it. Uh, was there actually a game plan for Arkansas at that time, or was it just, you know, hey, we're going we're gonna to beat them no matter what? Obviously, the scoreboard didn't reflect it. But was there, was there actually a game plan for that? Because I don't believe there was. That year there was a game. I mean, there are, there's always a game plan. The, the thing is nobody really executed to the game plan just due to sheer tiredness uh, and just beat down, right? It, it, the willpower was – the senior class didn't have – I don't want to speak ill, but, you know, the leadership just wasn't quite there. There's guys that were good. They were great players on that, on that team, some great athletes. It just sometimes wasn't quite cohesive, you know. So I think it's a big that speaks to a lot of what needs to be out in to, for a winning team. You need to be a unit, man. Like, you gotta, you gotta once again trust. Offense can't come over and yell at defense for not defending. You gotta, you gotta trust that you guys are gonna do a thing. Even if they aren't doing it, you gotta just believe in them every so often because that's what you need to win. No, I mean that goes a long way. So, um, Glenn, I wanted to ask you the same question about the game plan for Arkansas, but mine wasn't gonna be a joke like Drew was making it out to be because they were okay back then. Like I know Alex Collins, the running back for Arkansas had a pretty good game that day, I believe. Um, but that's interesting what you said. Cause like Drew and I didn't go through bowl practices. We don't know how some of that goes. Like obviously if you're preparing for the playoff or like if you're preparing for one of the big six games, that's not part of the playoff that year. Yeah. You're going to want to win that game. You obviously want to win every game you're a part of, but I thought that was interesting what you said about how coach Snyder sees or how he saw bowl practices. And I kind of like it. It's very practical. It's like, hey, we're just going to get a head start on things. Um, yeah. So how much time do you guys think you actually prepared for Arkansas? I think we honestly prepared. There are 15 practices. I think we prepared. We started preparing for – we. there were, I don't know, 16 periods probably in each of our – not 16, there were, you know, 10 or so periods or some – I forgot how many. There were segments of practice, right? The key I'm trying to get to is there are four or five team periods. And we didn't actually fo- – 
excuse me, we started focusing one team period of each practice only on Arkansas, on Arkansas, maybe at the beginning of that. And then we really didn't focus more until we got later into that uh, bowl prep. We started, you know, these are going to become Arkansas practices. At first it was all, we're just going to see how our younger guys are. We're going to see how we can go best on best as much as possible. Okay. No, that, that makes a lot more sense now. Cause you said y'all got throttled. That, that game was actually a little closer, I believe, uh, before the fourth quarter. I think, you know, for whatever reason, Arkansas started to pull away. Um, but that, that makes a lot of sense now. So, like, I certainly don't hold anything against Kansas State for that. I mean, y'all were preparing for the next year, and you just happen to have a game. You know, you want to go out and win. But I, I like that approach by Coach Snyder. And honestly, like, y'all had bigger aspirations at that time. Hey, Liberty Bowl for Arkansas compared to what we're going through now? Let's go, man. Let, let's, let's go for the Liberty Bowl every single year. That's the end game. But – that's interesting. I, you know, we don't get a lot of stories about – we haven't asked a lot of questions about bowl games, and I've always been curious about how you prepare for them because, you know, they don't mean a lot for some teams, like depending on which ones you play. Like I said, you obviously want to win, but I thought that's really cool how Coach Snyder used those practices for y'all guys preparing for next year. I thought that was cool. Yeah, they, I mean, the Liberty Bowl isn't the best bowl, but it's a – I mean – I much preferred my experience with the Texas Bowl than the Liberty Bowl. Um, I mean, they're based, they're all like, you know, ranked too, like based on how like prestigious they are, even like kind of how players view them. What gifts do we get? How, is it too late? Am I going to miss Christmas with my family? I mean, that's another thing too. That was New Year's Day, right? Or the, or the day after New Year's, something like somewhere right that where we were just, we had Christmas at home, we had to fly back the next day. And then we had that, we were New Year's Eve and we had, we had to be in bed, lights out by 11 p.m. on New Year's Eve. I remember that. I mean, it was just one of those things. We were far away from the city. It was just kind of like all these things added up. And let's be real, Memphis, that, that crowd was 95% Arkansas. It's a home game for Arkansas. So it, it just kind of all added up to being this just isn't. That's why you get in the fourth quarter, you got tired legs. You got this who wants it more? That's what the fourth quarter always is. Drew, I mean, I remember that from high school. That was always who wants it more. Exactly. That's kind of what it comes down to, especially in the bowl games. It's the end of the season. You're tired. You got your body's hurting after these injuries after five months. I mean, you who wants it more to finish it out? Let me uh, let me ask you this: um, playing at K State, like, what's that experience like? Uh, I. I've never been to one. Uh, I have a buddy who throws discus there. I, I tried to um, contact him and get him uh, to get me into a game for free. Um, unfortunately, he's like, I do not have those connections. He also has <laughs> not been to a home game his entire career there. Um, but what's, what's, what's a home game like for a K-State player? You know, it's 50-some-odd thousand people, but it's the loudest 50-some-odd thousand people you'll ever meet. It is roaring, and it's rocking. And I've played at a lot of places. And I've only think I've been to two places that there's only been two games. I think it's been louder than some of these top K State games when we have when we beat when like we beat uh, not beat when we were close to TCU my freshman year when we beat some of these other teams and stuff like that. It gets rocking. Um, Iowa State's always a good rocking game, but it, it, it's super loud. K State fans are they're dot, Kansas people in general. You know they're they're loyal and. Uh, K-State fans especially are loyal to their team to to death, man. I mean, it's K-State or die. It, it, that's what it is. K-State basketball, K-State football. And playing football, those home games, you get, get this – I get I actually get goosebumps right now. Just thinking about the walk out of the tunnel, man. That, that gives some goosebumps because that's a great – I mean, you walk out, you're doing some warm-ups. Coach Snyder had the same playlist, and he hadn't changed it either. 
So you had like we knew at this song we're going inside because it was the same as like stand up for the champions I think or something like that it was a song that's like we just know, um, and it's loud though the fans are behind you except at halftime and they go out and tailgate and some of them just don't come back, but K Staters know how to tailgate too I'll tell you that right now I never knew how to tailgate until I went to a game after I finished playing football and I figured out how to tailgate and it's fun now, but I mean like those K State fans are there for you and they're going to be loud and proud, and that's what it is. Yeah, so, Glenn, I mean, I hate to bring back Arkansas fans because, obviously, y'all had a bad experience with some hick yeah. in Memphis, and, I, you know, he doesn't represent the entire state. Hopefully, you'll forgive our state for that. Um, <laughs> you know, I just realized that, you know, with Kansas and Arkansas, you have our Kansas, but, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, but we can – I can kind of relate to that because in Arkansas, you know, the University of Arkansas is the only thing we have, and the state is right behind the university. That's – you know, we have little Arkansas State on the northeast corner, but we don't care about Arkansas State. So, like, the state is sold, bought in. We don't have a professional team. We don't have anyone else for our allegiance. Dude, that state is our – that program is our identity. You know, in Kansas, obviously you have Kansas, and more or less you have Kansas basketball, even though Les Miles is there now, and who knows if they get something going. But, like, in Kansas, like, if you're living in the Manhattan area or in the surrounding area, or if you're just a K-State alum or just like Kansas State, there isn't anything else in Kansas to do. Like – you're, you're a Kansas State fan. Like, Kansas State football, basketball is my life. So, it's like you want to get behind that. So, maybe that accounts for some of that. I don't know. Um, but I wanted to ask you this, Glenn. So, growing up, watching Kansas State football, you know, whenever they were playing, that's where big teams went and died. Like, I think Oklahoma especially has nightmares of going to Manhattan. So, yeah. can you – what is it about that environment maybe that you think – because you already told us, like, why it's awesome to play in, but can you account for maybe why these teams just go in there and, like, dude, I do not want to play in Manhattan, man. We're going to get tripped up here. It, our fan, our student section's right behind the bench. And I, I'm not – you know, props to West Virginia basketball because they have their, like, you know, their sheets of paper with, you know, a, a po- op, uh, opposition team info, info and, like, their Twitter handles and, like, getting in their heads. But, man, they will get – our K-State students will get in you like get like OU or whoever, get them to turn around and boo at them. And the locker room that they're in the visitor locker room isn't the nicest. It's new. It's not the nicest. Um, it, it, it just all adds up. And then you realize how much like K-State fans love their team. And you got your OU fans are far away from them and the, for the visitors. It, it kind of is just like this mentality of when we're home, we, we know we're going to win. And our fans – if they're allowed, we know we're going to win. And those, those opposing, the opposing teams, they know that. And they can talk all the mess they want. Baylor tried to, like, stomp on our Wildcat, our Powercat logo, the lot, like, my last year I was there. That did not go over well. Matt Rule was trying to, like, defend his players, stuff like that, telling us that we need to get off our own field. And, uh, that, I mean, that lit a fire under us. I mean, you, you find the smallest thing to disrespect our home. I mean, that's what was instead of us. This is our home. You're going to let somebody come into our, your home and let, like, no, you're gonna not do that. I mean, my freshman year, my like I'm not, I was redshirting, but we lost 55 to nothing, and Bill Snyder had to write an apology email to the entire student body and the fan base afterwards. It was ugly, but like that type of stuff, you never want to have that happen. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, I think, I think that that mentality mentality starts from Bill Snyder. Like we've seen um, throughout this entire interview so far. Um, it's, it's a mindset that comes in from day one. And I think it doesn't just stem from, I think it stems from Bill Snyder, but also goes to the players and then goes to the fans. You can kind of see it in that community. And um, I think it also stems to the basketball program. Uh, K-State is a place where like, 
the March Madness or just, again, a Big 12 team like Baylor, Oklahoma comes in there. And, um, did you spend a lot of times? I remember seeing on social media when you were there, a lot of – there's a lot of, you know, weekends or weeknights where you were at the basketball uh, stadium. You know, yeah. what was that your favorite sport to kind of watch there or um, was there another one that you watched? Easily basketball, man. I'm not going to lie. My, uh, my, one of my roommates was a basketball player. Uh, his name is Pearson McAtee, and through him, uh, I met probably, like, my best friend right now. I mean, like, the guy I still talk to, like, college best friend. We were super, super close. His name's Dean Wade. Uh, you talk about how much fans love their basketball team. I mean, in football, your face is in with face mask and your pads, your disguise, but they know who these basketball players are. Even Pearson McAtee was a walk-on. Uh, they know them, and they love them. And it's – I think – Basketball's big out of sheer hatred of KU. We want to beat KU every year. KU talks about little brother this, and they can talk all they want. They still, you know, they they bring up numbers from, like, you know, the late 1800s for wins. It's just whatever. But, like, that basketball is – I would go to every game because, you know, my roommate got my friends on the basketball team. I'd go at 1 a.m. and I'd go shoot hoops with them because they had pretty much access to their basketball practice facility, and I'd always tell them, like, I'm going to dunk on you. I've never happened. I have a video of me getting dunked on by Dean. wasn't pretty. Um, but, like, those dudes, I mean, they're funny guys. They're great guys, great team. Coach Bruce Weber is a great coach. Um, so, yeah, basketball was my thing. I love going up there and watching my dude play, watching all my boys play, especially when my, my roommate Pearson got done. I went crazy for that. And whenever Dean got a, a dunk or anything like that, I'd be going crazy too. So, I mean, those were my dudes. Yeah, no, I mean, watching the K-State games from home, uh, you can feel it, um, like feel the electricity of the stadium kind of running through. Um, but I guess kind of talk a little bit about Dean Wade. Um, I guess my kind of question is, what is he like off the court? You know, obviously with these professional athletes, we see what they're like, you know, in interviews and stuff like that. But what is he like as a, as a person? Because at the end of the day, these are all just human beings that are just living a life. They just happen to be really good at a certain sport. Yeah, you know, Dean's a – He's not from Western Kansas, but anything west of Manhattan is considered West Kansas. But he's from, you know, small town, 1,000 people, genuine guy, right? He, he, he talks about – you can talk about all these fresh players that spend their money on everything. This man took a scholarship check, spent, like, I don't know, like, I'm exaggerating, but $200 of it on rent and found this cheap apartment and saved the rest of it or sent it home to his parents or his grandma because <clears throat> he, took, he took care of his family. Uh, uh, Dean's a very big family guy. His mom was, uh, it is St. John, Kansas basketball. She's the basketball coach for the women's team. Um, his dad's a big basketball guy, played uh, Juco football actually at Hutch, I think. And then, <clears throat> he's just, excuse me, he's just a super, super, super competitive guy. Dean is. And uh, he just took that to the court. I mean, he will, t- you put a outside, uh, you know, no ball in his hand. He's joking. He's laughing. I mean, he is always, always smiling. You can always tell this man's going to smile because he genuinely cares. With a ball in his hand, he's zoned, man. He knows he's going to just come at you. He's going to drive the ball. Um, I still – I talk to him every night. We face him every day or we'll play Call of Duty every day. We'll do one of the two, probably, probably both. And, uh, I mean, I'll ask him, hey, what did you do today? I worked out, you know. Oh, so, yeah, me and K-Love and Nance and – Tristan, we had this individual today, and I was like, oh, okay. He goes, yeah, but this weekend I went out and caught some walleye. I was so hyped. I mean, you know, he's hyped to catch some walleye out in, on a Lake Erie than he is, you know, playing hoops with some of these big players. I mean, 
he knows he's going to be a good player because he, he killed the G League last year. He's back in Cleveland right now training. I mean, and he knows he's going to do good this year because the, the, the Cavs <clears> – excuse <throat> me, the Cavs love him. Cavs have him playing a, a stretch four who can shoot from range and drive and if he needs to. He's fit so he can run the floor. He get, he gained some weight this offseason too, so he's going to be good on that front. Um, but he's just a small-town kid that just – Loves it. Isn't spending his money. He's just saving. He's one of those like guys you want to, you genuinely just want to grab a beer with if you're 21. Of course, you got to be 21. Um, yeah. But that's not the only professional you know pretty well. Um, I remember because we played with him together at Coppell. Um, he used to beat my head in on a regular basis on scout team the year before when he was a junior. Uh, he was a, he was a starting tight end at the time, and I was a scout tennis linebacker. But Connor Williams, you know, the starting guard from uh, the Cowboys. Can you? Um, I guess kind of give us your kind of friendship, your background with Connor, because I'm assuming it goes uh, further back than what I can remember. Yeah, no, we uh, – I have pictures of him and I playing t-ball together when we were like four or five or six years old. Uh, dude is a great guy, straight up. He's a funny guy. Doesn't – like watching him play on Sundays and <clears throat> talking to him still whenever I can, I still can hardly take him seriously because he's – I just remember as this funny dude just – even when he went to Texas, man, he was Snapchat me and after games when one time I won, one time we didn't win, you know, we went back and forth. Um, we would just get pictures. We'd talk to each other, talk to his family. I mean, he's a great guy. All these guys I know, they're just down to earth, right? Social media may seem like it's not, but like Connor, for example, I mean, he does these things for his family. I think he has a place out with his parents. I mean, his parents and him still crash together because he's a, he's a family guy. Uh, the guys, I think that uh, – I think that's what genuinely sets it apart. Guys that succeed in these, like, professional leagues, they have a support system around them, right? And that's what Connor has. And Connor has taken full full advantage of that in the best way possible. I mean, now he's playing for his hometown team. He may not have been the first-round pick that he made that, – that, you know, some experts had him at, but I think he's living out his dream playing for the Cowboys, growing up what he wanted to do. Um and I mean, once again, great, great guy. Loves to have fun. But I still remember I'd text him and say, "Hey, you're leaning in your stance." That was in college. And he, you, Drew, you remember that? That man yes, loved yes. leaning away those run plays. I texted them him that one time after we played him. I said, "I knew you were running because, yeah, you're leaning." And he, t- he just texted me to shut up, but he knows I was right. <laughs> I mean, I was watching him the whole time on film. Yeah, no, I mean, my memories of Connor. Um, he so his senior year. He uh, he wore a, a undershirt that obviously, you know, only we could see in the locker room. That was a Superman because that dude, his senior did everything. He was like he was a quick, uh, quick tackle is what we called it. So he was basically weak side tackle. Um, but he would flip with me. I think it was like I don't remember what it was exactly called, but he'd be the tight end. We'd run 38, which is outside zone. And this dude was reaching the, 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 the outside linebacker who I've had trouble with the entire game. And he's reaching it like that. And then not only would he do that, he would go play nose tackle on defense and kill it. Like no one could yeah. block. Like he was just, he was Mr. Do it all his senior year. Um, he was just, I mean, you could tell that year that he kind of became a different beast the year before, you know, he was the starting tight end, which just kind of tells you the old line we had that year, um, which was really great, but he was, you know, tight end couldn't catch the ball, but the next year, I mean, he just blew up, goes off to Texas and, uh, I mean, I'm sure it's great to see a guy that you said you, you grew up with kind of, you know, from T-ball yeah. years to, to live out his dream. I'm sure that's great. And, um, nothing but great, 
great things about Connor, man. He, he was an awesome dude. Um, but I'm sure it was also fun to beat him when you were at K-State that, that one year. <laughs> it, was, it was a great thing. That man did not want to talk to me after that game because it was in Manhattan. He wanted to just go to the band, do the eyes of Texas, and go to the locker room. Um, I caught him outside the locker room afterwards. He was talking to his parents, and we were just talking. He was just not having it. Yet the year after, they beat us in, I think it was overtime, in Austin. And he just loved – he took a video of me all looking bummed up, all bummed out. And I just remember that. I was like, yeah. Because he, he's competitive. All these guys, these D1 athletes, I mean, me included, they're competitive. Everybody, an athlete, D3 athletes, D2, high school, if you play athletics, you are going to be competitive. And that's that's just how it rolls. I and mean, that's the guys I know. And that's all my all my best friends are competitive too. We will have we'll have competitions on who can hold the door first. Like we'll get to the door and we'll just look at each other until someone goes in first. We'll both hold the door and like you go. No, you go. No, no, you go. Go. And that's just what it is. You got to find something to be competitive about and just drive. People who don't play or were athletes at one time will not understand that. But I, you know, I just got done playing. I just graduated. So, and I've got this, and like, I feel like, man, I've got so much left, but I don't have anywhere to expend that energy. So now I've got to find ways to be competitive. Like I'm challenging people to different things or, you know, I got to take up golf now so I can play against my friends and that kind of stuff. So you're right, dude. I mean, I, people would be like, why are they doing this thing about holding doors? No, you don't understand, dude. Like you've got to find some way to get this energy out. But for Connor's sake, Glenn, we can move on from football. I got to ask you this about nightlife in Manhattan. So, so far, and every single person we've had on from D1 has been Capel. So, obviously, you guys from Texas you know your barbecue. The best spots to eat in Manhattan? Best spots. Uh, there's a place. Oh, man, there's a couple of good places. The one I'm thinking of, I will say I'm a big sushi guy, and Manhattan actually had a good sushi spot, which is crazy. Miller, Kansas, right? Love the sushi spot. But there's this taco place called Taco Lucha. That was just the joint. And uh, you couldn't beat it. You really couldn't beat it. It was a bar too, but the food there was, it was a bomb, it was bomb food. It was like these tacos that you just wouldn't find. Like they had, oh, they had these off menu items. One of the burgers they had was like a, like a peanut butter, buffalo chicken taco type. Switch. It was, man, I'm telling you, it was great food and they have the shit they, they're made famous and they got the recipe online somewhere does like chipotle black beet like chipotle raspberry black bean dip and that thing is undefeated i mean that is good because manhattan was a great place i love manhattan man i want to get it if i could i'd buy a second home up there in manhattan because that thing is just i just want to go back Did, you know you're an offensive lineman so and you like we mentioned at the start of the show Y'all are the coolest. You're the best position group. Like, did you guys, you know, when you're of age, when you're 21, did you ever, like, get a chance to go to parties? Or, like, did the frats want – dude, I want the offensive lineman here. Like, we want the offensive lineman to be at our parties. Or, did you know, did you go out in town or anything, like clubs? Yeah, you know, I'm not going to lie. A lot of the fraternities in uh, Manhattan didn't really like the athletes around. And that's surprising, right? But I think (laughs) – supposedly the story is the basketball team before uh, my years there – may have gotten into some altercations that caused some damage prop, uh, in the properties of these fraternities. Uh, so there was a little no-no for us, but actually one of one of a great football guy I know, a absolute great friend of mine. I mean, I consider him a brother of mine. Plays for the Chargers now. Uh, his name is Dalton Schoen. He's a, he was a walk-on at Kansas State. Became a starter. So that's one. He was... He rushed Beta Fraternity, uh, Beta Theta Pi, 
became one of their best basketball players for intramurals because basketball is huge there, like intramurals as well. And he was mechanical engineering, and he graduated all that um, in four years. And uh, that guy, I'd ask him, hey, Dalton, let's, let's go to a party. He's like, I can't, I can't get you in. So we just – athletes ended up having their own parties and or, and or they'd go to the bars, and the bars were just always popping. And it was fun times. And when you're talking about when you're 21, 50 cent, uh, you know, wells and drinks like that, it's pretty cheap too. So not a bad way to be in Manhattan, Kansas. No, I mean, that, that sounds good. But let me ask you this. Saturday night, okay, after a big K-State win, what's the go-to, you know, maybe restaurant or bar that all the guys are at? Um, hanging out, having a good time, celebrating the win? Honestly, their bedroom sleeping. <laughs> like, I'm going to be honest, man. That's what I did. But I would try to go out with my friends afterwards because I'm tired. I mean, we were there. We had to get up at 7 a.m. If it was a 7 p.m. game, we were up at 7 a.m. for meetings, 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 meetings. Go to our rooms, go to the bus, warm-ups, more meetings, warm-ups, football. And you're saying, I'm tired. But – also, all the restaurants are packed. Manhattan's a small community, right? It's 20000 without – on a game day, it's 100000 So, uh, it's 20000 without the students, and on a game day, there's 100,000-plus people there. And all the good restaurants have weights and stuff like that. Uh, and our compliance – let's be real. Our compliance uh, department was very heavily involved in the community, saying if you even let the athletes, you know, skip the line, the weight, you are – you're helping them commit a violation, and nobody wants to – get K-State in trouble. So it's a good thing, but also, like, come on, who just got done with our game? We want to get into Taco Lucha. We want to get into So Long Saloon. These are some great places you couldn't get into. Um, but, I mean, the nightlife was great afterwards. I mean, <laughs> I can't even think enough. I mean, there were so many just good things that you could do around Manhattan after a game that we would do. Nobody really got together as a team. It was just because our families were there. So we would just handle our families for a little bit, but then we'd go out to the bars with our friends and, like, some of our teammates, and that's where we'd meet up. But if you see your teammate out in the bars, that's you're just going to chill with in the corner. None of the football guys dance. That's what we didn't do that. We would just be a post-up in the corner. You know, I mean, you probably know what that is. But we would literally just be post-up in the corner just like some of us. I knew one dude who would fall asleep. He wasn't, he wasn't drinking. He was just tired. He would just kick back, lay back, sleeping. I mean, I don't blame him. I'd do it. Well, yeah, I mean, playing the K-State way, I feel like, is a exhausting way. And after a game, especially a win, you're probably uh, – exhausted from the week of practice and stuff like that um but I've actually never heard someone say that after a game that or you weren't or you weren't allowed to kind of skip the line because you were a K-State player usually in these I guess in these maybe these bigger towns like of Houston and stuff like that they kind of get the nod to like okay you can go in like I know who you are yeah. type thing. Uh, but I I've personally never heard that so that makes K-State different than I guess any D1 school but uh but Glenn that's all the time we have today for you today um but we always ended on a funny question. Um, this is our this is our theme question that we ask every every athlete we bring on. Um, now yours is a little bit different because you got Coach Coach Schneider. Um, now I'm, if he had a daughter, I'm assuming she'd be way older than you. Um, so my question or our question to you is: If a coach had a daughter, is she off limits? Doesn't have to be the head coach; can be any coach. But of my team. But of your like, team, yes. So, like, a Kansas State had a Kansas State coach has a daughter your age. Yeah, no, it's she off on her. <laughs> there's no shot. There's no shot I'm doing that, man. There might be other guys, but there's no shot. 
Like if I'm if I'm if I'm messing that up, I'm I'm screwed. <laughs> they will they will find out any nicknames, any embarrassing things. They will get psychologically and in practice is getting yelled across the field. Like coaches knew that already, and they weren't even dating their daughters. They would just find out somebody else, and you were getting, you were done. So. Yeah, no, hundred um, percent. Now the second part to that is our teammate sisters off limits. Someone in the oh. K-State locker room, is are they off limits? You know, that ha- I, I'm not, I never did. But some of my teammates had some situations that, you know, there was some, 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 some unresolved issues that had happened in the Kansas State locker room with that, with that type of situation. And I was, I was witness to these things. And it's funny being a witness, but after seeing what – the kind of beef that happens because of that, I, there's no way I'm doing that. Yeah, I mean, it. everyone's had a different response. It's also it's always funny to kind of put um, you guys in a weird situation because team chemistry is a big thing. And uh, yeah. if you're if you're talking to you know teammate sister, it, hey, that that messes a lot of things up, and it can ruin things if you don't treat it right or if it's a bad breakup and whatnot. But Glenn, thank you for coming on today, man. We had a blast yeah, talking man. to you. Um, learning about K-State. You know, Bill Snyder is one of the best coaches, I believe, that's ever come through college football. Um, and kind of getting the insight to kind of see his mindset uh, and kind of – I think you answered some questions of is he kind of the same. He is the same on and off the field, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sandy, definitely. Sandy, do you have any last kind of words or comments? Yeah, Drew, it's, it's just been a great uh, round of interviews we've had going on and on because, you know, we, we, we talked to fullbacks, got the deep snappers, and now we're getting to the funniest, the best position group to talk to, the offensive linemen. So we're really just making the rounds, and, and we're obviously trending in the right direction when we're talking to guys like Glenn because, you know, you get the funny, the caring side, the smart side and all that. So we're in good shape. I think we had a good interview today, Drew, with offensive linemen. 100%, the first of many. Thank you, Glenn. <laughs> Thank you just for having me. Sandy, that was a great interview with Glenn Williams. I had a great time talking to an old buddy of mine, an awesome dude that played at K-State with Bill Snyder. It was fun to talk to him. But if you enjoyed this episode and want to listen to more of our episodes with more college athletes as well as our normal podcast, go ahead and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or go follow us on any other podcast platforms. We're also on Twitter and TikTok. We, we post stuff daily. So go give us a follow at Splitting Ups.